Good morning, anchors. It is Thursday, September 15, 2022. A great day for our future. We have 2,997 days left until Thanksgiving Day 2030. Here's today's questions from our anonymous confessional from buymeacoffee.com slash worldpeace. Free. Remember, this is entertainment. I am a real minister ordained by the Immaculate Church of the Internet. This way, we could be the world's most functional safe space. So download the Anchor app. That way, you can leave us voicemails we'll play in our show. Anchor gives you the tools to make a podcast of your own. And together with World Peace Free, we can make it easy for everyone to be neighborly. Help us stay ad-free with just $3 virtual coffee at buymeacoffee.com slash worldpeace. Free. You could even message our show anonymously. Just make sure you click that button for privacy. Question number one. Eric, I'm confused about what you're saying about OnlyFans. I have OnlyFans. Does this make me amuse, as you say? Don't tell my, don't share my screen name yet. Sincerely, Anano. All right, look, thing is, as a content creator, you don't have a choice on how people will view you. The best example of this is the narrative of those pesky Bible thumpers. Because their God is the creator of creators and he can't get 100% approval rating? Maybe the lesson we get from that is 100% approval isn't exactly a good thing. Because I feel it's, it's the dynamic between the difference, our differences, that create the demand for positive solutions. Positive solutions that work for everyone in the long term. Which is why I happen to like the transparency of the OnlyFans business model. Because everything's in the title. Which means it's our fault for making it what it is today. Question number two. How do I keep my daughter from making an OnlyFans? I uh, thought I reviewed this. Shoot. All right. My wife is a feminist. I married a feminist because I am one too. But this is something I could tell we both don't want. What are our arguments here? As your time-traveling minister... I'm trapped until I learn about grace and redemption in the age of retrospection. So let's see if we could find some here. I feel the best way I can explain is through typical conversations I have with gay Christians, because I feel like that's a similar conflict. You know, like justifying actions that go against mainstream preaching. And first of all, I'm not whatever Christian you think I am. I'm just another human being that learns second by second like you and also the ridiculous mistakes one can make on the way to the grave. So I don't think I have an answer. So don't think I have an answer, all right? Because I think about death a lot. And I feel we should just treat our body in a way that gives it long-term peace. This way, our minds are on the future and present moment, the best place to be in when making life-changing decisions. So what are your struggles? You want to be a feminist, but disempower your daughter from granting OnlyFans. Maybe... Maybe try giving her the School of Caesar versus the School of Gratitude talk, because I feel the rhetoric you choose to live by makes it impossible to win an argument with your daughter because A, you're the patriarchy, and B, getting naked for strangers in that movement is empowered work, when the truth is, it's just work offering cash for life-making experience. So I feel the only way, only thing you could do is direct her mind toward concepts that won't make her into a toxic feminist. And the only non-religious talk I could feel I could give you here is the school of Caesar versus the school of gratitude talk. Basically, long-term thinking versus short-term thinking. One is okay with manipulating urgency, and the other lets things come naturally. One capitalizes on that urgency, while the other focuses on building goodwill. One exploits desire, while the other desires a world where everyone gets along. One prevents revolt with cheap food and entertainment, and the other encourages growth through stewardship, 
that supports our widows, fatherless, and strangers. And the reason why I make this distinction is so that you can easily spot which schools of thought people subscribe to. And now that we're in a world where you can clearly see the endings of those that came before us, the age of retrospection allows us to sift for the best practices so we can pioneer the best path for the kids of our kids. And if I can make one last suggestion, make a proper environment to talk nuance. Since you've identified yourself as part of the feminist movement, you're not an individual anymore. You're part of a movement, which means you're either a loyal member of the cause or an observant individual that's on that side because of the data you have at the time. So make it easy to compare notes. That's the point of our show. Tomorrow's question. Dear time traveling minister, I think your show is great timing and we need something like it these days. But you need consistency. I hear you, man. I hear you. I hear you. We need you, especially right now with this whole weaponizing the FBI thing. All right. Wep- <laughs> this is bull poop. How do you expect us to believe anyone after we cross these lines? I'm honestly lost for words. I don't have an energy for this. I don't have the energy for this. Please say something about this issue. Sincerely, tired. That's your name you're going to go by. That's fine. I'll do my best tomorrow. Of course, the answer is always available for our locals on WPFF.locals.com. You can listen to the podcast there, Spotify, or Anchor. But only locals can break space time with us. Let's do the YouTube intro. Welcome to World Peace. Free! Everyone's favorite audience-generated museum of events until 2030. I'm your time-traveling host, and you're in the future, so if you haven't yet, please subscribe so we can be the biggest YouTube channel not part of the Ad Money program. Today is Talk Therapy Thursday, highlighting therapeutic moments in history. I'm not here to judge, just here to listen and give an honest opinion. Today's clip has a Navy SEAL talking about his transformation from a 300-pound blubber ball to a military warrior. Eric... This is why Joe Rogan has the number one podcast in the world. People can be themselves with him. Now I gotta. Now I really gotta read his book. P.S. I was digging around social media, uh, uh, Spotify, and lo and behold, I found your show. Typed "World Peace for Free" in the search section, and you're there. Is this really you? What are your plans? Look, I will talk about that soon. I know it's. If you look at the timeline thing, I haven't been making episodes, and. I don't know what I have to say about that. All I know is I'm making a voice here. I'm, I'm developing my voice here, like how why Anchor exists, so that you could practice that. And I'm really happy with where we've where where we've evolved. Look at the lighting we have. I actually repositioned the desk a little bit and and uh, made the equipment a little bit more faster. And we're we're improving every day. But I know that we're not producing at the capacity I imagined in the beginning. But once again, this is a growing pains. It's the point of growing. There's going to be pains along the way, and we can be happy about what we have now. I mean, look at what we're doing with this with this with this show. I'm basically immortalizing clips that are that you guys want to that you guys want to immortalize, and these clips are people from uh, like in our past, I guess. I guess I'm in the past as well. But I'm also demonstrating a thing that we all should be doing, which is learning from each other. This is, I've seen this clip before. I haven't seen the entire thing. It's 22 minutes, but the, the conversation is basically an origin story of how, how a kid in the 90s who lived in Indiana where he witnessed KKK walking through, uh, marching through the, the main streets with, uh, on 4th of July parades and constant threats and then him becoming a Navy SEAL uh, past all of that, past his, uh, his abuse from his father, et cetera, et cetera. 
sorry, that's there forever because on the show we don't we don't uh, we don't uh, do a lot of cuts in the show, and it's not not that we're trying not to be professional here. It's we're trying to we're trying to demonstrate that. Well, that that thing that we all have to go through every day, learning second by second, and even including what we uh, and being okay with our mistakes along on, that we make along the way, because we know we're not we don't have to make them again. I'll I'll figure it out. Well, we're all figuring it out on the at, at the end of the day here. Uh, I say that a lot. Uh, we're all figuring this out. We're all here trying to create the best environment where we can learn from each other, and. I feel like we have a balance now. You guys could check it. Uh, you guys could check it out on uh, check us check out our vision plan in uh, buymeacoffee.com/worldpeacefree. But um, yeah, this place, the our channels, we we really want it to be associated with being like a church within the nation of YouTube and then within the nation of social media. Because let's let's face it, there's we have a lot of digital people. The digital versions of ourselves running around in this Ethernet singularity thingamajig, and there's no institution where we could calmly and compare notes with each other. But I digress. Let's just check out this clip. It is a little bit long, but at the same time, like this is the, remember, I'm gonna do my best not to interrupt. I gave you guys a little bit of a uh, introduction for who this gentleman is, and this clip is his origin story. David Goggins. He wrote a very very good book. I will look it up now, look up the name now so I can promote it because it is one of those, it's one of those books that you read it and you're like, what am I doing with my life? I got to do something awesome now. I got to do something David Goggins awesome. The Joe Rogan experience. How'd you become that guy? You know what? I, I grew up not that guy. Yeah. So a lot of people put a title on me. They want to, uh, they see me now. They see me now as the guy that with his shirt off who can do 4,030 pull-ups in 17 hours, who can run 205 miles in 39 hours, who can do all this crazy shit. But what they don't understand is they don't understand the journey that it took me to get to this point. And what got me to this point was I was just the opposite of what I am today. I was that guy who ran away from absolutely everything that I got in front of me. But not many people knew that. I had two people. I had the, I had the, like the real me was like this very scared, insecure, stuttering, got beat up by his dad, all this kind of stuff. And then I, I built this fake person that walked around like my shit didn't stink, you know? You know? Right. Yeah, so that was, that's kind of how I did it. And I, through a process of time, I realized that I was lying to myself and lying to people. But that, it's a, a fascinating journey, though, because you are that guy now. Right. I mean, you genuinely are a legit badass. Right. And at one point in time, you were a, a legit terrified person. Yes. So what was the process? Like, how did, how did you step forth? <clears throat> well, it's a, it's, it's a long process. Right. Um, I, my dad beat the shit out of me when I was growing up. We, I, I was the first black baby born in this hospital called Miller Fillmore in Buffalo, New York. My dad owned skating rinks, he owned bars, he ran prostitutes from Canada to Buffalo, New York. My dad was a big time pimp, big time, anything bad about a person, big time hustler. He was American, you know that, that movie with um, Daniel Washington? Mm -hmm. He was that, but not that bad. American you know, He wasn't that big, but that's what it reminds me of. He was that kind of guy. And um, beat the shit out of me, beat the shit out, you know, out of my mom. There was an incident one time when my mom got knocked out on top of the stairs and he drug her down the stairs by her hair. And at six years old, um, I'll never forget this. In my mind, I, I was always afraid. 
my whole life I was afraid, but I had this fucking voice, this, this conscience that would always be battling me saying, hey, you got to get up and do something. I didn't want to do shit. You know, I was just afraid, but I would, that, that voice would force me to get up and my dad, you know, I tried to beat him up, whatever, at six, and I get my ass kicked. So this went on for several years. And I have a big time learning disability. Cause my dad didn't believe in us going to school. So my dad, it was about the business, the skating rink and the bar. So the skating rink opened about seven o'clock at night. And this is the time I was able to walk. So about five, you know, four, five, six years old, eight, nine. And I go to this, you know, skating rink at seven o'clock at night, and I worked the skating rink until ten at night. And then we would scrape the gum off the floors and we cleaned the whole skating rink up. And then my dad had an office. And my brother and myself would sleep in the office. And my mom would go upstairs and work the bar until three o'clock in the morning. And then they cleaned the bar up. So after all that shit was done with, going to school rarely happened. So when I went to school, I was all kind of, you know, my, my learned disability. I had social anxiety. I was just a jacked up kid from living in this tortured home. From the outside looking in, we lived in an all-white neighborhood, and then we would travel to the ghetto of Buffalo, New York, where the skating rink was at. So we, you know, we worked around mostly blacks, and I lived around mostly whites, but no one knew what was going on in that house at, on 201 Paradise Road. You know, it, it's crazy. But um, my mom got courage to finally leave him. When I was about eight years old, we moved to a small town in Brazil, Indiana, and that's when the real war started for me. And Brazil, Indiana is a small town, great people, a lot of great people. And I say that because a lot of people get offended. And, and I'm, I'm going to get to the point where they get offended. There was about maybe 10 black families at about 10,000 people in the town. And in 1995, the KKK marched in the 4th of July parade. So this was a, not everybody was racist. There was a lot of good people. Some of the best people I knew was there, but there was also a lot of racism there. So me being one of the few black kids in that, you know, in that area, you know, it, it kind of haunts you. I had stuff on my notebook, you know, nigga, we're going to kill you. On my Spanish notebook, they had that on my car, nigga, we're going to kill you. This is early 90s. And um, so even though I showed it didn't hurt me, it was jacking me up. So all the insecurities I had when I was a kid with my father, I've moved into this area here, and it just got worse and worse and worse. And it shit haunted me. And that voice that I talked about, it kept talking louder and louder and louder. But I was doing nothing about it. And I decided to make moves. And I cheated all through school. And it's, it's kind of humbling to talk about my story sometimes. And it's, um, it's, it's also embarrassing. But um, it's real. It's who the fuck I am. It's, it's, it's what I am. It's, it's, it's what created me. And copy from the fourth grade to, the, to, to my junior year in high school on every assignment. And I want to get in the military. I want to join the Air Force. And... The guy gave me an ASVAB test. It's like a watered-down SAT. And I couldn't copy on it because the guy beside me had a test A. I had test B. The guy on my right had test C. So I looked to copy on this test, and I couldn't copy on it. So I got like a 20. And I wanted to be an Air Force pararescueman. It's guys that jump out of airplanes and save down pilots. It's a, it's a special operator in the Air Force. And my score was so horribly low that I'd retake it again. And he said, hey, I got like an 18 the second time, even worse. I need to get a 50 out of a 99. And so my mom and I, for a while, we lived in the government subsidized apartments, $7 a month, and also food stamps. And we slowly moved up to a $230 a month place. But at the time, you know, we you know, pretty poor. But um, my mom afforded enough money for me to go to see a tutor one, one hour a week. So for four hours a month, I had six months to study for my last test.
I go ahead and take the acid test, you know, the acid test three times. And I studied my ass off and passed it. And I got in the Air Force and realized there was more things in front of me. I was afraid of the water, terrified of the water. And um, I learned how to swim. But what gets everybody in this training, in all special ops training, is the water confidence, where they try to pretty much drown your ass. You know, all of our lives we've been breathing. And they take that from you, and they want to see how comfortable you are in the water. And there's only 1% African-Americans in special operations. And I didn't know anything about African, like a lot of them are negative buoyant, which I am, because of the bone density. I, I struggled. But um, six weeks into the program, there was about 25 guys left out of about 150. I was there, and I, was never, I didn't go to sleep for six weeks of the program. And I wanted to quit so badly, but I quit everything in my life. I copied through school. I wanted to prove people wrong. And so here I am in this Air Force program, starting to get a little more confidence. But this water was kicking my ass. And six weeks in the program, the doctor gave me a blood test. And was that sickle cell. Sickle cell trait, not the anemia. But it still killed people. But so they pulled me out of training for a week. And when you go from being very uncomfortable in that water situation, and then now you're comfortable, and I'm sitting back watching the guys drown, I'm not, you know, I'm not part of the activities anymore for this week. I didn't want to get back in that damn water again. So the fear overcame me, and all my insecurities from my dad, from this small town, from everything started coming back. And even though no one knew how fucked up I was, kind of create this other person who was tough, I live with this shit all the time. So me not wanting to go back in that water, Still. the doctor called me back up. I thought I was going to get like a, like a medical kick out of the military. So no quitting for me. They'll kick me out so I can have some pride. The doctor said, no, man, we're kidding. You know, we could put you back in the training. And I was like, fuck. But after a week, I'm like, you know what? I missed one week. There's only three weeks left. There's a good chance, you know, I could tough this shit out and go on. But I went back to the CO and the commanding officer of the program. And the sergeant said, hey, you got to start from day one because you missed, you know, that, that week of training. And I broke. I broke. I, I, I couldn't imagine going back through that again. So I made up a lie. And I said, man, the sickle cell thing is really scaring me. It was the fucking water. It wasn't sickle cell. And, and I pretty much quit. Even though they gave me a medical, it, I quit. So um, from the age of 19 to the age of 22, I went and did a job called TACP, where you control fast movers behind enemy lines. Cool job, but there's no water. I was afraid of the water, so I avoided it. And um, I gained 125 pounds in that time frame. I went from 175 to almost 300, to 297 was my heaviest. And I started finding things that was comfortable. And the more things I found comfortable, the more uncomfortable my mind was. Because that voice I was telling you about, it, it always was there. I was just trying to avoid that conscience. I, I wanted to be left alone from that conscience, and it wouldn't leave me alone. So I got out of the Air Force, and I started working for a job called Ecolab. We spray for cockroaches at 24 and um, spraying at different steak and shakes, red lobster, whatever, from 11 o'clock at night to 7 o'clock in the morning. And what changed, I came home and watched this Discovery Channel show, um, class 224. I came home from steak and shake. I sprayed it down last, get a big old large 42-ounce shake, walk across the street and get a box of mini donuts from 7-Eleven. And I would shake. drive home for 45 minutes big old fat guy who, yeah, I worked out, but I was fat. I didn't run, didn't PT, I just, I just hit the gym. So I'm um, driving home, turn the TV on, and what comes on, Discovery Channel so, and that's where everything changed for me. I uh, was taking a shower, I walked out, heard these guys, and 
I watched the show and it made me reflect big time on the piece of shit that I am and I'm exactly what people said I was going to be. So, so what was on this show that really struck home? It was, um, I saw these guys going in the water. So I, I was terrified of it. I mean, I can't even express, have you ever had a big fear? And I know a lot of fighters have fears and stuff like that, but they get over them. But a lot of us have these fears that you just don't want to fucking face. And um, I have a lot of them. I had a lot of them. And that's what created the person who's in front of you today. And we'll get into that. But um, just a scared bitch is what I was. And But I was watching these guys going through Hell Week, Class 224. And these guys ringing the bell, quitting, dropping their helmet down, rolling out. A lot of guys just leaving. And it made me reflect on my fears, my insecurities. And I saw real men, what I thought were real men who were staying, who were overcoming adversity, who were overcoming all these different things that I had blamed so many fucking people in my life. My, my dad, the, the, my, my mom for not being there. When I was 14 years old, my, my mom was gonna get remarried to this great guy, he got murdered. And then I moved back to that small town in Brazil and, and I, I, everybody was to blame. My, my learning disability, my, my skin color, you know, me, me being everything. And so um, I sat there for a while and I was like, man, I got to fucking, I, I've, I've got it. No one's going to fucking come to help me. No one's going to fucking come to help me. It's, it's fucking me against me, period. And um, so I had to man up and I said, the first thing I start doing is facing every fucking fear I have. No matter what the fuck it is, man. And, I, and these things would keep me up. And I, no one, people who are hearing this shit, they, they will never really understand and grasp when you face these things and so many things how they keep you up and haunt you at night i think there's a lot of people out there that know what you're talking about i mean and um so that's what it did and i i, I had two options to either be that 300 pound guy who sprayed for cockroaches and made a thousand dollars a month and at 24 years old knowing when i'm 50 fucking years old i can reflect on this and think about what guy i never became or i can totally just sack it up and fail and fail and fail until I succeed. So I started calling recruiters up. I said, I'm gonna go be a fucking Navy SEAL. And every recruiter, so there's a weight and height, so the weight and height limit to get in the military. And I was six foot one and 297. And I had prior service, which was a big deal. So I called all these recruiters up and all of them said, hey, how tall are you, blah, 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 blah. They got into conversations to see if I was even qualified. And by the time I got to my weight, phone would hang up pretty much like, hey, you know what, call somebody else, you know, try to get in the reserves. So I tried to get in the reserves. And I called this guy named Steven Salgio, recruiter up, and he said, hey, come on in. He saw me, put me through the weight standard, all this other stuff, and to get into the class I had to get into, I had to lose 106 pounds in less than three months. So I was like, fuck that, I can't do months. that. I grabbed my chocolate milkshake and went back to Ecolab. I'm going back to work, man. This is my life. So in this job, you look you know, you're looking for cockroaches, looking for rodents and stuff like that. And this next morning or this next night, I went to work and I hit the, I don't like cockroaches too much. I hit the mother load of cockroaches. And this restaurant got full of cockroaches and rodents and everything else. And I sat there and I said, this is my life. I said, this is my life. You are exactly who the fuck, this is it. And I said, this ain't gonna be it for me. So in that restaurant, I quit my job, left my canister in that restaurant, my, my spray canister, got back in my Ecolab truck, and I went home. And I started working out like somebody, I, was, I became the most obsessed person on the planet Earth. And I was basically, 
I had to invent a guy that didn't exist. I had to invent a guy that can take any pain, any suffering, any kind of judgment, be called nigger, be called whatever the fuck in the world, and be able to stand in the fucking room and say, go fuck yourself. I had to build, I had to build this callous mind, and I built it through suffering. I built it through downright fucking just crushing myself. If, if it was raining outside at 3 o'clock in the fucking morning, if it was snowing, the first instinct is don't go out there and do shit. My instinct was we got to fucking go out there. Anything that was fucking horrible in my life that I would normally say no, that was inhumane to most people, I had to go do it. And I started callousing my mind at this point in my life. And I lost the weight. I lost the weight and I went back to the recruiter. I got into that class and I went through three Navy SEAL Hell Weeks in one year. Only guy to ever be in three Hell Weeks in one year, to my knowledge. The first one I didn't make it through, the next two I did. And um, that, I just didn't, I, I didn't stop anymore from there. And I started realizing through this, through this process that the fucking mind is what you created. And I started opening different doors that I didn't think were even there, that I didn't think even existed. And the more doors I opened up, the more I started realizing that my potential is damn near endless. And it, and it changed my whole mindset. So I went from David Goggins and I created Goggins. And that journey is a priceless journey that is hard for me to even explain to people because it sounds so quick and easy. Like I lost this weight and I went through three hell weeks. And I went to Ranger School, went to Delta Force Selection, whatever it is. It was brutal. It's a brutal journey every fucking day. And everybody goes, well, are you happy? If anybody knows my life story, and I'll try to give you a, a, just a snippet of it. Where I'm at today is in front of Joe Rogan telling you my life. To get through where I became, to get through where I'm at now, there's nothing but pride I have for myself that I can't really, I can't really show people. Because I have this face, I have this face that they see like, are you happy? What's wrong with you? I'm driven. I'm obsessed. And that's what you see. That's it. People need to hear the story. This is a this is an exciting story for people because there's a lot of people out there that feel trapped and they feel stuck and they feel like they can't do anything. This is who they are. You're a guy who felt that exact same way, but figured out how to not be that person and be a person that you would admire. How did you what were the first steps like you had some slips before right because you you quit because of the water thing right but then when you went back the second time and you decided you're gonna lose all that weight and you quit that job did did you was it just straightforward from there or were there some days where you just failed and then you picked it back up again so my first run when I decided to lose the weight I was like I said 297 I was about 32 percent body fat and I went my idea was to run four miles for my first run. I didn't know how bad it's gonna fucking hurt me. I used to run before I was fat and I was like, fuck it, I can do this. I ran a quarter mile and walked home. I walked home, sat on my couch and cried. I went to my mom's house who was about 40, about maybe 20 minutes down the road and cried again in her couch saying, man, I can't fucking do this shit. I, I don't know what I'm gonna do. I uh, just got somebody pregnant. My life was just fucked. I was making $1,000 a month. My rent was eight ten a month and my mind just kept fucking with me. And kept fucking, you're not good enough, man. This isn't for you, man. These guys are the best motherfuckers on the planet Earth. You're not that. And um, what it was, and it's kind of funny, I was obsessed with Rocky. Rocky one, in particular. And when I was a kid, I'd come home every day, and i watched this fucking show, Rocky. And I would fast forward with the little VHS tapes to round 14. 
Round 14 fucked me up like nobody's business. Why? The song came on. When I, talk, when I bought the pull-up record, I listened to the song for 17 hours. It's 2 minutes and 13 seconds. And I'm able to visualize and dream like nobody's business. And I know that I can create a vision that many people can't. And I work for it. So the vision I had was when Apollo Creed beat the fucking shit out of Rocky. Beat the shit out of him. He kept fighting. He was a dumb fighter. Couldn't read. Couldn't fuck. That was me. Couldn't read. Couldn't write. Just punchy. Everything about him. And Rocky beat the shit Or Apollo beat the shit out of him. He was in that corner. Everybody was saying, stay the fuck down. And him getting up. Him getting up. Apollo Creed raised his arms up in the fucking air. Turned around. Thought he won the fight. He turns around and sees this guy getting up. And it was the face of Apollo Creed that changed my life. The face of Apollo Creed. It was like just by that motherfucker getting up. Not winning. Just by him getting the fuck up. Apollo Creed was, he was his champ. He's the best. Rocky had taken his soul. Had literally taken his soul. His, his head goes down. He looks at him like, Who, what the fuck are you? I wanted to be that. Not Rocky. I want to be the guy that people looked at. I don't care if you liked me or didn't like I don't, I don't care. But said, this motherfucker is going to keep coming after whatever the fuck is in front of him. I wanted that. I wanted that. I wanted that worse than anything in the world. So that is, I kept picturing me falling down and getting up. And every motherfucker that called me nigger, I was dumb. Even myself. Even myself. I wanted to feel something besides defeat. I wanted to just go to distance. And that going to distance pushed me to a point of where now I go way past the distance. So you go the first day, you, you run a quarter mile, and then you walk back home, and right. you're, you're, you're upset. How do, you, how do you move forward? So basically what I did was I came home, and I, I had a chocolate milkshake. <laughs> I sat down, and I gave up. I said, this ain't gonna fucking happen, man. I could lose 106 pounds and I can't even go a quarter of a fucking mile. I started being able to take negative shit and be happy. And this whole, I say what if a lot, it sounds corny and it sounds weak, but it's true. One of the recruiters said, there's not many black Navy SEALs. Matter of fact, I was the 36th African-American SEAL in history. It's in over That's seven crazy. years. Because the fucking water, you know? Right. It, I mean, people get mad at me. It's fucking true. Just get over it. And so I was like, man, what story would it be if my fucking fat, dumb, lying to be friends with people, insecure ass can overcome this shit? And that what if mentality, like that, that, that dreamer mentality just would always fuel me. It would just fuel me, man. What if I can be, what if I can be a SEAL, man? What if I can go from running a quarter of a fucking mile, now I, now I run 205 miles. Oh what, what if I can go, just what if I can go, and, and, and what if, how would that feel if I'm graduating? Because I don't forget at the graduation thing I was talking about, 224, the, like the video I sat down and watched. This command officer stood up and he said to, to the graduation, um, guys who are graduating buds, like 18 of them, he said, we live in a society where mediocrity is often rewarded. And he went on to say something about these men detest mediocrity. And I wanted to be a man that detests mediocrity. It, all, it, it got me in a lot of trouble in the SEAL teams and going forward in my life because I just, I started looking down on people for not going hard as fucking shit. And I started to create different things, but that's for a different day. 
but I just believed that it, you know, my whole mind changed. <laughs> so that's Joe Rogan and David Goggins. And for those in the future, I'm pretty sure by now they're household names. And I know that the tendency for reaction channels is people want like quick, oh, here's my thoughts on this and then stop. Here's my thoughts on this. But that's not... That's not how the show is built. The reason why we don't, uh, we, we, we're off the ad money program is so that in the future, this channel always remains ad free. It's got to be, it has to be ad free so that we don't have to worry about the copyright strikes and whatever. But uh, that's why we do this here. You know, like, I feel like what we've learned with the internet is people exist to share their experience so that we can learn from them. And we get concepts from these stories. Like, for example, the narrative of Jesus Christ. Without that narrative, we won't have the, the best examples of grace and redemption. You can't, you can't, for, like, you can't lose... Uh, redemption wouldn't be redemption if you could lose it in a day. And we know this because of that narrative. If that narrative didn't exist, then we wouldn't be uh, we wouldn't be able to talk about the grace that allows you to dream the way he dreamed. I'm so glad for his uh, his experience, but I'm also glad that I'm not him. You know, I'm I'm very glad that that I could just listen to the story and then realize like, oh man, like I, I know I just did a, the body fat count. I'm 33% right now, and I'm like, woof. I can't believe I got that point. And this guy, he went from 300-pound blubber ball to Navy SEAL. It's almost like as if he exists so that we, all, we could all say, there is no excuse. We could, we, you got to do what you got to do. And this is why we do this show. I needed to hear that. And I needed to, I needed, I needed to, I, I'm so, like, that's how providence works too. Another concept that comes from the narrative of Jesus Christ, this, uh, this idea that even the works of the past, he was talking about how Rocky inspired him. And it was specific to the moment where Apollo Creed looks at Rocky and Rocky, after he just gave Rocky a beating, Sly Sloan gets up and then keeps on going. And that was what inspired him. And that was captured in podcast format, something you don't necessarily get in the new talk show formats that we have today. And even then, we're so distracted by people that are, we're told that we have to pay attention to. And once again, another format of our show, I, I don't want to watch what the algorithm shows me anymore. I want to watch what you want to immortalize on the show so that kids of our kids can look back at uh, what you guys put down and the email that you wrote. And we could check it, check up on you, and see where you're see where you're at in your journey. That's how I imagine what's going to happen with this show in ten years from now. That's the reason why we have an expiration date. This is a, this is an experiment. We're uh, we're we're done Thanksgiving Day 2030. And look at what we're doing right now. We're creating an environment that we could learn from each other. We're creating the best environment we could learn from each other. Because that's what social media is able to... Well, it sh that's how it was envisioned before. I mean, taking a look at this clip, I believe it was... Uh, does, this, does, does it tell when, when this interview happened? No, but this clip was posted February 19, 2020, uh, 2018. 
a decade after more than a decade after YouTube was invented. And look how it look how it evolved. I was there during the Smosh days and Anthony Padilla and the uh and Josh. Oh man, this is uh, I could already hear my criticisms from my from the from the people that want the show to be successful. Stop saying names if you don't know them. But I'm learning. We're all learning here second by second. We're human beings here. We needed to visually prove that there are two types of people in our society. People that exist to spread hate, humiliation, chaos, and division. And people that want peace. So we put it in our title, World Peace for Free. And guess what were the two main reactions? What do you mean free? And are you Christian? So we built a safe space to properly talk about this. By going on those internet churches, anyone could be a minister. And because the internet is forever, we could call ourselves a time-traveling ministry and open this free space anonymous confessional. And now we have a place to ask, how would George Carlin start a church? What would happen if the apostles had social media? And for the kids of our kids, what should we normalize? Let us know in the comments below. Even better, leave a voicemail for us at anchor.fm slash worldpeace. Free! Share news and events you want to immortalize on our timeline. And remember... You are loved, missed, and thought about every day. Have fun and be neighborly, everyone. Take care. Getting better every day.